You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. Ruth chapter 2. In chapter 1, we learned of Naomi and her family, right? Her husband Elimelech and her two kids. And they were living in Bethlehem, Judah, in Israel. And then a famine hit the land. And you know, that word famine, that's where we get our word famished, means people are going hungry. So it's not just like around here, like, oh, we haven't had rain in a long time. Now it's like crops aren't growing. (laughs) You know, people are getting hungry. And so they panicked and they really went against the word of God and they left their homeland, the promised land. And they went backwards into the land of Moab where there's pagan idolatry and it was really the enemy of Israel. And then there, you remember, Elimelech, now his husband, died. And her two kids then married some of the local women, Ruth and Orpah, and then her two kids died too. And so it left just these three women widowed in a time and a place where it's not good to be a widow. It's very difficult. You know, they're the most impoverished and reliant upon the rest of society for provision. And so it was that Orpah went back to Moab and to her people and to her gods. And remember, Naomi was saying, Ruth, you go back. But Ruth refused, and she was committed to Naomi, and she was committed to go with Naomi to find a new life, a new people, and a new God for her. And so this is like a salvation story, friends. This is a conversion story. This is a rebirth, right? And all of us can think back to maybe when we first came to Christ in that new beginning and maybe letting go of some of the old friends that used to drag us back and take us down and and letting go of that old life and that life of the flesh to coming into the promised land and becoming one of God's people and fellowshipping with God's people and fellowshipping with God, the God of God's. And so there's this leaving behind of something and there's going ahead in faith, in faith, not completely knowing exactly what that means, but just putting our trust in God to say, let's do the next thing. Now with that said, there's Naomi and Ruth and they go back and they're living in Bethlehem, Judah now. And now what? That's where we get to chapter two, verse one. Let's go through it. It says, there was a relative of Naomi's husband a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Ooh, this is just like this opening to this uh, chapter just brings this, you know, all kinds of hints of what might happen next. (laughs) And and we see that there's this guy, Boaz. And and we read in the Bible that Boaz is, is actually the son of Salmon and Rahab. So Rahab, the harlot, who was in the book of Joshua at the start of the book, you remember they were coming into the promised land, they came to Jericho, and and there was Rahab, the harlot, who said, hey, she had the spies, remember the spies that were spying out the land, and she hid them amongst the flax on the roof, and she said, oh, but remember me and spare me when you come. 
And so when they came and they marched around the walls and they blew the trumpets and the walls came, fell down, the walls fell down except for one part. And that was the part where Rahab's house was on the wall. And she and her family were spared, were spared. She then went on to marry Salmon and they had a child here named Boaz, Boaz. Boaz means, his name means, in him is strength, is strength. And we're going to see that as we read about him, that this is a strong man. He's a wealthy man. He's a leader. He's like a nobleman or a knight, if you want to compare it to like the Middle Ages. And uh, really well respected and looked up to, but a man of integrity and a man of strength. It is interesting that later on, his great-great-grandchild, Solomon, I know I'm giving it away again, darn it, but um, builds a great temple, as you know, and uh, in one of those pillars, one of the pillars in, in the front of the temple is named Boaz, Boaz, in him is strength. Interesting side note. And so he is a relative of Elimelech, which, uh, you know, we, we've already spoken of the Goel and the kinsman redeemer that in their society and according to Jewish law, there would, you know, uh, there would be someone in the family was expected to come to the rescue of another. If carrying on their name were at risk, they were to come in and help carry on the name if they could. If the land was, had to be sold or something like that, they were to come in and redeem the land. And they were to help if their relative had to become a slave or something. They were to come to the rescue and redeem the person themselves from slavery. And so there's a hint here that perhaps Boaz could be qualified to become that kinsman redeemer on behalf of Naomi and Ruth. Now something about Boaz that's really interesting here is that he's got great wealth and he stayed. He stayed. When the famine came, his relative Elimelech took his family and went off to Moab. But Boaz remained, and God obviously saw him through the famine, and in the end, prospered him, prospered him, even when there was famine. Now, we don't know how hard it may have gotten for Boaz, or if God blessed him even in the midst of famine. But here's what it says in Psalm 37, 18 through 20. It says, the Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time and in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. Verse 20, but the wicked shall perish and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. And so we have Boaz and we have Elimelech, right? And so let's endure hardships. Let's endure hardships. Let's not try to escape in disobedience to the Lord. And that's the key. God may call you to move. God might even call you to Texas, God forbid. And that's okay. That's okay. But don't run away from something that God's not saying go to. You know, it's important. And God will prosper you as you endure the hardship in His strength, 
Amen? Verse verse 2, so Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. Now, this was a, a normal thing for an impoverished person to do in those times. In fact, this was a welfare program that God set up that a poor person can go into a field that's owned by someone else and collect the leftover grain. I want to read that with you in Deuteronomy 24. So turn to Deuteronomy 24 and verse 19. We can see this law that the Lord set up, this welfare system for the poor. This is also found in Leviticus 23, which is a good place to go. And when, uh, when Steve actually taught on this um, last July, he mentioned Leviticus 23, which was really, really good. So let's go to Deuteronomy 24, where it, it also speaks of this. It says in verse 19, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger or the foreigner the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So you're in there, you've got your reaping tool and you're reaping, and, and then the, the, the people who are collecting the sheaves are coming behind and bringing in the sheaves, and then, and then um, you forget something, and you go, oh man, I forgot there's like a bundle of sheaves in the field, or there's some that we forgot to collect and bring up, or they miss something. Quality control comes in and says, you guys missed something there. We're going to write you up. And you're not supposed to go back and get it, but you leave it for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, the poor, those that, that can't help themselves Verse 20, or that don't have land and and they're just impoverished for whatever reason. Verse 20, when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the bows again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Verse 22, and you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. Remember when you were a foreigner. Remember when you were a stranger in a strange land. Remember when you were on the outside wishing you were in. Remember when you couldn't own your own property. And be kind, be gracious, and be giving to those who are now in in the situation that you were once in. You see, this is the heart of God, and this was his welfare system in this agrarian society. Now, I think that there's some lessons here that we can learn uh, regarding welfare, regarding welfare. And one is that the, the person needing the welfare was to go out and to glean, to work, to work. We're going to find here in a, in a moment that Ruth worked really, really hard. She was poor, but she worked really hard in the field to glean those leftovers. And what does this do for a person? Well, it maintains their dignity and their sense of hard work. And it helps them not to become lazy because we're human beings and we're fallen by nature. And we will become lazy very easily if if we don't keep working uh, as long as we can. 
it doesn't enable laziness or abuse of self or others. You see, it's not just collecting a check. It's not just collecting a handout, but you're doing something. You're working for it, and that's good. And then also we learn here that this is for those who are truly in need, right? It mentioned the stranger, the foreigner. It mentioned the the fatherless and the widow, you know, a young child who has no dad and can't go out and make his own living. The widow who often can't, you know, own property and, you know, is is seen almost like a, a slave in those times who really relied on having a husband to, uh, you know, for that social status and economical status and to get food. And so this welfare program was truly for those in need who, you know, through temporary setback or they were unable to work, they were outcast, they don't have family to help. The New Testament speaks of this too. We've got a couple scriptures we can look at. The first one is 1 Timothy 5.8. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Ouch. And and so what that's telling us is, look, if, if you have a family member in need, you're to take care of that family member. It is not the government's responsibility. It is our responsibility to take care of our relatives. And so we should. Next scripture, 1 Timothy 5.16. It says, If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. So if you have a family member who is a widow and, and is, is in need, then we're to take care of them. And do not let the church be burdened. It's not the church's responsibility to take care of people who can be taken care of by their family members. It's the family's responsibility that it may relieve those who are really widows. Look, the church needs to step in for people who are really widows. They have no family members. They don't have a way. And the Bible says in another place, they're older. And, you know, it's perhaps not realistic that they would remarry at this point. But it says, let the younger widows remarry and and have a husband and let them be taken care of. And so, um, you know, the church is not to be burdened when there's family members who can step in and take care of their family members. Now, there's all kinds of particular situations, right? We, We spoke about it's not to enable people to abuse themselves and others. We have a a son or a daughter or a nephew or a niece or an uncle, an aunt, whatever, that just wants to go take heroin and get on meth and be on the street and they're refusing help and they just want to be on drugs. We need to be careful not to enable that. We have people that just want to be lazy and just want handouts. The Bible says he who doesn't work doesn't eat. And so there's got to be this balance, friends. It's not uncompassionate and unloving to withhold from someone who is not incentivized to work, you see? 
But then the Bible says, if your enemy is hungry, give them something to eat. And if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. So there's this balance where we pray, we seek the Lord, and we're led by the Holy Spirit in these matters. But I think that these are things we do need to consider. We give to those who are truly in need, and we be careful not to enable people who are hurting themselves. And it doesn't do them any good to say, here's a handout, keep killing yourself, but to say, no, get help. And so anyway, we we pray through these things. We're thankful that there are government programs and things. And when we have homeless people, I've called this organization CityNet many times, right, in Anaheim, that they'll come and work with them and try and find them shelter. But oftentimes we find that there's a refusal for help. I don't want help. I want to be off the grid, off the system, and I want to just take my drugs and and whatever. Again, every circumstance is different, so we're prayerful. But these are considerations that we find in the Bible. So we provide for the needy, but we do not enable laziness and abuse. Okay, Ruth. Ruth. Notice here in these scriptures that Ruth says, hey, Naomi, mother-in-law, I would like to go out and glean in a field. I would like to go out and, and find a field and do something. Maybe I'll find favor with some landowner who will allow me to, you know, pick up the leftovers. And so she steps out in faith because this, this could be a dangerous thing for her, you know? This foreign, young foreign woman going out into a field with a bunch of laborers, you know, young male laborers, and you don't know what you're going to run into. But she steps out and she takes the risk in faith and she's not paralyzed by fear and by insecurity. You know, I've, I've been here, guys, where I've lost my job, you know. Sorry, uh, you know, company's going out of business. We're, we're going to have to let you go. Oh, man, you know. Now what? What do I do? And then, you know, you can sit around and feel sorry for yourself and have you know, insecurity and fear and and just collect the unemployment for as long as you can. Or you can put your nose to the grindstone. Is it your nose you put to the grindstone? (laughs) That sounds painful. But anyway, you can get to work and and look for a job, uh, you know, to provide for your family. And, And so that is what Ruth is doing. She's moving out in faith despite fear and insecurity. You know, we read in in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, that they went out and preached everywhere, the disciples. The Lord, the resurrected Lord, working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. The Lord working with them. They went out and the Lord worked with them. Ruth went out, and we're going to see the Lord works with her. And so as Pastor Chuck always used to say, you can't steer a parked car, right? You get moving, and then God can direct you as you're moving, as you're moving. So she gets moving. She doesn't sit around. She goes out to do something. She's a woman of action. And so Naomi says to her at the end of verse 2, she said to her, go, my daughter, Verse 3, then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. 
who was of the family of Elimelech. Notice the emphasis that keeps coming here. (laughs) He's of the family of Elimelech. Verse four, now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Now there's a couple things here we wanna go over. Verse three, first of all, it says that she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. So she's just doing what the word of God would say. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She didn't know that this was Boaz's field. She was just going out and just, you know, hey, maybe I'll find a field and find some favor and they'll let me glean. And she happens to come to Boaz's field. And so this is God's sovereignty at work here. As she's going out, the Lord is steering her and taking her to just the right field that she needs to be in. Have you seen that in your life too? Have you seen where you're just like, you feel like everything's out of control, you don't know what you're doing? Back to my personal uh, testimony, where am I going to work? How am I going to get a job? And you go into an interview and, and you bomb it and they leave and it didn't work out good and you're like, ah! but then you learn something from it and you go to the next interview and you're just like, where am I going to land a job, Lord? And then God brings the job and you're like, whoa, this is amazing. What a great provision from the Lord. But you just happen to run into that particular thing, you know, that God uses so mightily and wonderfully in your life and it all works great. I think of it too with meeting Christy, my wife, the way that the Lord brought our children in in such a special way through embryo adoption. You know, all of these things, there were just so many miracles involved in all of this. And I'm sure you have your testimonies too. And it's just a reminder to all of us though, to even when the going gets rough, you know, then keep going, stay with the Lord. We don't walk away and leave him, but in faith we go out, we move out. And now Boaz, you know, you just learn something a little bit more about Boaz here as he says to his people, the Lord be with you. And they answer him, the Lord bless you. And this is in the time of the judges where there was no king in the land and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And yet here there's this wonderful godly blessing happening. And so Boaz is a witness of the goodness of God here and he speaks blessings. He speaks blessings to his people. This is, I think, a great, like, if if I was to do a seminar or something on leadership, this would be a great book, wouldn't it? With a focus on Boaz. How did Boaz treat his employees? Well, he blessed them, and he brought the Lord into the situation. And so we, too, those who have our leaders and all of us, right, whether it be family and grandkids or at work, and you have a leadership role, and people are looking to you as an example and so forth, you can bring the Lord into it. You can say things like, oh, praise God, or hallelujah, <laughs> you know? All of those things that just show forth to the world that I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of God, amen? Verse five, then Boaz said to his servant, who is in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Verse 6, so the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. The way he says it is, yeah, this is that one woman that we all know about. 
Everybody had heard of it. This is a small town. This is like a small town environment, Bethlehem. Everybody knows. Naomi came home. We all saw it. This is that girl that everybody's talking about. Oh, I know who that is. Verse 7. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. And so Ruth is just showing some wonderful character traits here. She's humbling herself. She doesn't demand to glean and say, the law says you've got to let me glean. But it says, she humbly says, oh, may I glean in your field? Yes, you may. <laughs> and so she comes in and she's following the reapers and collecting what they leave behind, what they miss. And then she comes very early in the morning and she's been working all day. She's a hard-working woman. Not only does she do her work, but she works long and she works hard. And she's being a great example to all of us. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.